sir. Good morning, church family. And we have already talked about it, and we are, as many have already said this morning, our hearts are full, and we are certainly blessed today. I want to just thank everybody who made Go Weekend and Perryton, Go Perryton as we've been calling it, such a great weekend and such a great day yesterday. Whether you were able to go with us or whether you were able just to maybe pray over us or provided gift cards or whatever it was over the last few weeks that we've been thinking about Perryton. Uh, yesterday was a culmination of a lot of wonderful things and uh, it was a blessing. I want to thank uh, our compassion team. Yesterday our compassion team, a bunch of our ladies went around in four different vehicles and they were able to hand out the combination of what the Children's Church of Christ gave and you guys gave, I think it was over $7,000 in, in gift cards yesterday. That was incredible. Uh, did a great job with that. I want to thank David Erickson for putting that video together yesterday. He was like, I'll do it. And I was like, no, it's my job. I'll do it. And he was like, no, I'll do it. And he killed it. He did a lot better than I ever would have. <laughs> thank you, David. Uh, can you do the next one? So, <laughs> But it was great all the way around from start to finish. Uh, we have had a wonderful, wonderful summer, whether it was um, our kids kicking it off with Encounter. Got back from Ponderosa last week. We had four of our teens plus Monty head out this morning. They wanted more mission trip. Went back to Contact uh, to help out for the third and final week of Camp Contact. So be praying for them. Just God's blessing this church in so many ways. Also want to thank everybody who provided equipment yesterday. We, man, we had all kinds of stuff. We had dump trailers and dump trucks and skid steers and we needed it all. And uh, thank everybody for that, providing that. So just a great day yesterday. We, we're a blessed church and uh, we're not just blessed and I, I love the heart of this church. We're not just sitting around going, oh, thank you, Lord. We're going, thank you, Lord, let us pass it on. So I appreciate everybody's heart for that. May we continue in it. So we'll be talking soon, not only about kicking off the story August 13th, but we will be kicking off Go Canadian coming up in October 7th. So more, more places to bless. So we're glad you're here. Grab your bulletin or grab uh, online and let's get into summer school week number five. It was in 1999 that an astronaut named Jeff Ashby was in his first flight aboard the space shuttle Columbia. And he didn't take this photo, but he did write this down after he saw the Earth from orbit. He said this, he said, My first glimpse of Earth from space was about 15 minutes into my first flight. I looked up from my checklist, and suddenly we were over the lit part of the Earth. That's where the sun was shining, right? With our windows facing down over the Earth. Below me was the continent of Africa. It was moving by, much as a city would move by from when you're in an airline seat, circling the planet every 90 minutes. You can easily, from space, see the connection between, between someone on one side of the planet to someone on the other. I was shocked with the overwhelming feeling that there was no borders and that we live in one common layer of existence. Often you guys have probably felt this. We've all felt this. Whether it's when you leave your context, your culture, that the boundaries that we often believe that divide us, nations, civics, politics, race, those are all imaginary, all made up. What we share is far greater than what we don't. 
We breathe the same air, drink the same water as 7 billion other humans on earth. Yet, we love to divide, don't we? I'll give you some examples. We'll divide even over the trivial things. Take, for instance, a map that somebody on Twitter came up with in 2019. Taking a non-scientific poll, this was what was rated as the most hated NFL teams in every state. Now, you Cowboy fans, take note. Eight times the Dallas Cowboys appear on there. The most of any other team. But when people were asked, why do you hate other NFL teams so much? Here's what they said. Speaking of their hated team, whether you hate the the Eagles or maybe... Uh, it's funny that people hate the Seahawks. We don't even think about the Seahawks. I can't believe it's not all just Tom Brady and the, the Patriots. That's the team that should be up there. Anyway, but uh, that's who I don't like. It's, it, they, get, they get a pretty good section of the country. But here's what everybody said. They were asked, why do you hate this other team? And the overall thought was this. Well, those fans for the other team are obnoxious, loud, annoying, cocky, dumb, rude, arrogant, entitled, vulgar, cheaters, braggers, and losers. When the opposing fans, who were just spoken about, were asked the same thing, they said, well, of course they would think of that. Those other fans are obnoxious, loud, annoying, cocky, dumb, rude, arrogant, entitled, vulgar, cheaters, braggers, and losers. We love to divide, right? We'll divide over trivial things, even though we still breathe the same air. You want to start an argument today at lunch? Don't talk politics or religion. Don't even take it that deep. Just ask a trivial question. I got a few of them for you here. Just a couple. Ask the question today at lunch. Is a hot dog a sandwich? And you will divide your your family. Or how about this? Is the world full of more wheels or doors? Which is there more of in the world? Wheels or doors? I've argued that with my boys all summer long. I'm a, I'm a wheels person. They're a doors person. Anyway, we love to divide. We love to think. Because it's not only that we share in common air and water, it's that the human condition also, among 7 billion people, shares in common the way we think about others. Whether we like it or not, You and I, all of us, the human brain has been hardwired by our sin and our brokenness to be tribal, to band together with those that only look and act like us, and then of course to reject those we don't. But this morning as we go to summer school, week number five, In a world that gives us the product of division and dividing and rejecting and judging and enemy making, we're going to see that Jesus has another way. His way is the way of disciple making. So I want us to take again that posture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to pray over this and we're going to pray over our brothers and sisters at the Christian church this morning. But as we pray, we're going to also just take the posture of learning as we go to a strange passage. Where a couple of disciples are going to ask Jesus to do something that while we won't admit that we would all like to see happen, we have all in the quiet places or in a fit of rage or in a day of frustration have asked the same things that James and John are going to ask today.
Let's pray as we begin this teaching. God, what a blessing it is to be here today to commune with brothers and sisters, to take that bread and drink that cup and be reminded of our need for you. And not just reminded of the reality of that need. Father, I pray today for this group of people who are here together, who are with us online, that we will learn and we'll grow. And Father, that we will discover something about ourselves and why we love division. I pray that you will teach us, Lord, to reject some of those more base, sinful parts of our lives. God, we lift up today, uh, we're thinking of our friends and brothers and sisters at the First Christian Church. Thank you for letting them serve with us yesterday. God, I, I specifically just pray over them as they're saying goodbye to their, their youth ministers, Garrison, PJ. They're losing two-thirds of their staff this week. And just pray a blessing over them. God, we pray that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven there, here, and anywhere people are trying to seek you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. <laughs> you guys are going to love this passage. Uh, this is great. So here's what happens. So verse, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven. So Jesus, already early on, chapter 9, Jesus and Luke is already starting to do things that lead towards his ultimate goal. And so Luke's going to give you a little heads up. As the time approached, well, we're, we're way away from... Luke chapter 22, when this all culminates. But Luke is telling us here, Jesus resolutely, that means he, he became stone-faced or determined, goal-oriented to set out for Jerusalem. What Luke is telling us here is Jesus has a clear mission. He's on his way to become king. And he's already, in Luke, told his disciples, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do it in the way you thought I would. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be handed over to the, tax, the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they are going to crucify me. He's going to become king, not by sword or power or war, but coronation through crucifixion. He's resolutely set. His will is determined. And so here's what happens as he is setting his journey towards Jerusalem. Pick it up, verse 52 through 56. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So food, lodging, whatever needed to be taken place, sent a few people ahead. But the people there in this Samaritan village did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked. Then he and the disciples went to another village. All right, so you need to know this, right? So most of Jesus' ministry happens in Galilee. So to get from Capernaum in Galilee down to Jerusalem in Judea, you've got to go through a little region called Samaria. Two disciples, three disciples. We don't know if it's James or John. We don't know how many, but Jesus goes, all right, go out, send out, go out and get ready for when we arrive there. 
They arrive at some village in this village because of Jesus being a Jew and them being Samaritan. And because of Jesus' destination of where he's going, they say, you're not welcome here. You cannot go here. This certain village says, no thank you. Why? Well, let's be reminded of a couple things, right? Samaritans and Jews. You guys know this, but let us just call to mind because we're going to unpack this uh, this request, we'll call it, from James and John here in a moment. But to get to the request, we got to be reminded of this. So Samaritans and Jews, here's what they are. They're ethnically related. Same background, same lineage with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, well... Actually, before I get to the but, they're ethnically related and they're also religiously similar. Samaritans upheld the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the Torah. They had those both in common. They held them both as sacred texts. But where they differed, the big but here, is that they are theologically opposed. The main difference between them, the reason that they had divided and no longer welcomed each other is because they argued over what was the most sacred place. Jews would argue that the most sacred space was Jerusalem. Samaritans would say it's Mount Gerizim. You see this discussion played out in John 4 as Jesus sits by a well with a Samaritan woman. What's interesting is this group, these two groups had much in common, but for generations after generations, they had learned to lean into their differences. So when a group of Jewish men show up looking for some hospitality, the Samaritans reject it. Samaritans are not interested in a Messiah whose destination is Jerusalem. And in response to this rejection, we get to our teaching today. In response to this rejection, in steps James and John, They're not happy with this rejection. The sons of thunder step up and they have a request for Jesus. Now before we get to the request, let's be reminded of who these guys are. These guys, James and John, are the sons of thunder. What a nickname. Man, I don't know if you've ever had a nickname in your life. I've had a lot given to to me by my brother that I cannot repeat. Um, Allison's brother used to call her dog breath when she was little. It's not, I don't know what that's about. Sorry, Al. There's great nicknames out there, and there's nicknames we don't want to know about, right? My dad called me Gunner when I was little. Not because I think he always wanted to name me Gunner, and my mom wouldn't let him or something. But it's because I ran everywhere I went. I never walked. I ran everywhere I went. But this, Sons of Thunder, is a nickname comes from Mark 3. You can pick that up in Mark 3.17 if you want to look that up. But this, if you want to know what this is about, we're not describing two guys that are shy and reserved. Sons of Thunder. They, James and John are not winning the Introvert of the Year award. You don't name somebody that's an introvert. Well, there's a Son of Thunder. He's just so meek and mild, right? These guys walk into a room and you're like, oh, James and John are here, Right? They have this reputation that precedes them. The sons of thunder. These are the same guys that in Mark 10 are going to go to Jesus and say, in brashness and in a crazy amount of courage, say, how about you let us, Jesus, sit on your left and right in your kingdom? We want a throne. These guys are brash. 
They're outspoken. And this time, their request, in response to what the Samaritans do in rejecting them, is they step in and say to Jesus, how about a little fire? Right? Jesus, is there anybody that's needing smiting? Because we're your smiters. If you've ever smoten, we want to smite. <laughs> right? That's their attitude. How about we call down a little fire? Now, if you're a student in the Bible, what should you be doing? You should be asking a question here. Why are they asking this question? Why are they going after these Samaritans with such, well, lack of a better word, fire, right? Why do they respond to this rejection this way? Well, this is not coming out of nowhere. They're not pulling this out of thin air. In fact, James and John have Bible. They have book, chapter, and verse for when to, or for, to pull this from, for what a Jewish man should do when a Samaritan rejects them or offends them. They should call down fire. And where they're getting this from is from another son of thunder, a guy named Elijah the Tishman. If you flip back in your Bible, and I want you guys to because we're going to get there here momentarily, to 2 Kings chapter 1, let's set the stage. We've got a Jewish man who's most famous for having fire fall from heaven in 1 Kings 18 and 19 in his showdown on Mount Carmel with Baal and Asherah, where he won a battle, one versus 850. That takes back place back in 1 Kings, but to catch up to where we are in 2 Kings, there's another moment of fire. So where we are in 2 Kings is this. Elijah's biggest rival, the Cowboys to the Eagles, right? Texas and OU. OSU and nobody, because we stink. <laughs> right? Elijah's biggest rival, Ahab and Jezebel, have passed away. They're dead. But their son, Ahaziah, has now taken the throne of Israel, or Samaria, Mount Gerizim. In 1 Kings, if you go back one page in your Bible to the last line of 1 Kings, you'll discover that Ahaziah is described as being no better than Ahab and Jezebel. And if you know anything about Ahab and Jezebel, we're supposed to go boo-hiss when you hear their names. They have continually worshipped the Baals and the Asherah. 2 Kings 1 opens up with this story about Ahaziah has had a physical accident. He has fallen through a lattice floor in an upper room and has hit the ground and is now injured. In response to this injury, Ahaziah sends messengers. He wants to know if he'll ever recover, if he'll ever be healthy again. And instead of going to seek Yahweh, the true and one living God, he seeks messengers to go to Ekron, a city of the Philistines, to ask the god Baal Zabub. You guys heard that word before? He says, let me go find out what Baal Zabub would say. In response, the angel of the Lord sends Elijah to cut off, cut him off at the pass, these Samaritan messengers, and to ask them a question. Elijah confronts these messengers. 
who are heading on their way to Beelzebub, and he asks them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you would go and consult another God? In the story, the men quickly return back to the king, Ahaziah, and the king is surprised that they're back so quickly. They explain to the king that a man that they didn't know cut him off, they, uh, and they told him to go back, and they describe who this man is, and Ahaziah, because he knows who Elijah is, says, I know who that is. That is Elijah the Tishbite. He wants to have a showdown with Elijah. His mom and dad were never able to kill Elijah. They tried multiple times. They, they threatened it multiple times. Maybe Ahaziah now knows, hey, maybe this is my chance to end this battle. Let me go find Elijah the Tishbite. So he sends out a squad of soldiers, one captain and 50 soldiers to go find Elijah. These 50 plus one find Elijah on a hill and they say to him, they command him in the name of the king of Samaria, man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah then responds this way. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you. And it does. Fire falls from heaven and 51 men die. Then again in the story, the king sends a second group, another captain and 50 more soldiers. This time the captain is even more demanding. He adds to the, the command of the king. He says to Elijah, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. He adds two words to it. Again, Elijah says, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume. Fire falls and now the death toll is 102. Finally, the king sends a third envoy. This captain, instead of obeying the king and saying, come down or come down at once, disobeys the king. And instead of demanding Elijah, he says this. We pick it up in 2 Kings 13 15. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down to be with the king. Now, this passage may leave you with more questions than it does answers this morning. I hope it, in some way, I hope it does, because that means you'll dig into it. But let's remember where we started, right? We began with James and John getting rejected by a Samaritans and coming back to Jesus and requesting fire to fall. What they're asking was, let us be like Elijah and let's burn some lives up. Let's do something. Let's get rid of these Samaritans that would reject us. Let us reenact this story. Now, why would they want this? Is it maybe because they're missing the bigger point? Here's what I want to dig into for a little bit. You guys are going to see this. I hope this becomes clear. Why does Elijah call down fire? Is it because the king's idolatry? Yeah, probably in part. Is it because of the king's arrogance? That he's demanding that Elijah come and see him? In part, yeah, that's probably a fair answer too. But maybe there's more. Maybe the answer's in the text. The answer's always in the text, right? 
What does the text say? The text says he calls down fire because he's afraid. What well, doesn't say that directly, Jake? Yeah, does. Notice when the voice of the Lord shows up in 2 Kings chapter 1. We didn't read it all, but you can go back and study. The voice of the Lord shows up through an angel twice. Go and stop the men from going to talk to Beelzebub. And it doesn't show up again until the end of the story with the angel Lord telling Elijah, don't be afraid. I want you to take note of what's going on. And take note of God's actions in the story. Right? Good biblical reading is always asking the question, what is God up to in this story? God sends word to Elijah so that he can stop Ahaziah from consulting Abel. But God's word doesn't show up again till the third set of soldiers. And that word is don't be afraid. Now, you don't have to agree with me here, but let's go back to James and John. And let's talk about our own hearts. Isn't it our desire? Isn't it our inspiration or our source, however you want to say it? Isn't our desire to call down fire always born out? We get rejected like James and John. Wish those people would just go away. We want to call down fire, right? We miscommunicate, our relationship is hurt, and there's there's tension between people, and maybe a person retaliates, and you retaliate, and we get revenge. What do you want? want Call down some fire. Maybe you don't do that. Maybe you're like, that's not me, but maybe you watch the news and you agree with the take. You know, the, the news's job is to sell you fear, right? And so you, you agree with the take on job loss or border crossings or the next boogeyman that's coming out next week. And what do we want to do? We want to be like Elijah. It's called out fire. And I think when we do that, just like James and John, we miss the bigger point. Here's the first thing I want us to know this morning out of three really quick points. Have you ever noticed this in Scripture? That the voice from heaven to earth is always the same thing? It's do not fear. Track the voice of the angel of the Lord over and over throughout Scripture. And I will promise you, primarily, it's those three words. Anytime the voice shows up from heaven, the voice of heaven to earth is don't fear. James and John could have been fearful of Samaritans. Maybe it was just that that they were hurt or something in there. But we know what they're really doing is they're fearful. Last weekend at the men's retreat, our friend Mitch said this. I want to repeat it. It was such a great quote. He was talking about the stronghold of fear, the thing we hold on to. And he said, sin produces fear, but it's also much more accurate that fear actually produces sin. I'll say that again. Sin produces fear, but it's more so accurate that fear always produces sin. Marginalizing, which is what James and John are up to, pushing people aside, stereotyping, demonizing. Well, the problem with the world today is those people. The problem with the world is that. The problem with the world is them. All that, all that is a product of fear. Hatred 
demonizing, marginalizing, is the mask that fear wears to make itself look tough. Hatred is the mask fear wears to make itself look tough. And the first, vo- the first voice of heaven is do not fear. Jesus doesn't even speak in this section. But he does something else. So second, what we see in this, that I think James and John are trying to, that they've got to learn, is yeah, you want to be like Elijah, but Elijah was doing that because he was fearful. But the second thing we also need to know about this is that James and John, and they've got, they've got book, chapter, and verse to, to back up their barbecue wishes, right? They do. They're like, you want us to be like Elijah? I got book, chapter, and verse showing you that this is what we ought to be doing. But here's the thing that I think Jesus is getting at. The question is not, can I find it in the Bible and make it support my position? The question is, can I find it in Jesus? Jesus here, while we don't get any red letters in Luke 9, 51 through 56, we do get a description of what his response is to James and John's uh, request. And it says Jesus rebukes James and John. That is the same word in the text that the gospel writers use for what Jesus does to demons. Jesus rebukes demons. He rebukes James and John. And what he's rebuking is this attitude, their heart. They're using scripture in order to uphold an ungodly, unchristlike. Heart. I'm glad we never do that. (laughs) Thick sarcasm if you didn't pick up on that. Right? The desire in them is just, well, if somebody's our enemy, isn't the world better if our enemy just goes away? And Jesus goes, no, that's not what we're into. That's not the team we're on. That is not what the kingdom of God looks like. And that brings us to our final point. Is that the first word from heaven is do not fear. And the question we should be asking is not can I find it in the Bible. How many texts have we messed up because, well, I can find it in the Bible. Instead of can I find it in Jesus. Now, that may, you may struggle with that. But Jesus himself, that's the way he read the Bible. What's Jesus tell his disciples after his resurrection? They're confused about who he is. And he takes all of scripture and does what with it? He says, I'm going to show you how it points to me. That's Luke chapter 24. What's he do with the Pharisees in John chapter 5? He says, you read all the scripture, hoping in it to find life, but I'm right in front of you. In other words, Jesus' Bible reading hermeneutic, how you read the Bible, fancy word for how you read the Bible, is himself. All scripture points to Jesus. So the question is not, can I find it in the Bible? It's, can I find it in Jesus? Because the point of the Bible is to lead us to Jesus. And I think the third one, and while this may seem the most vanilla point, this is the one that runs all over me. And I'm going to give it to you. I think what Jesus is teaching them is he's trying to show them that life in the kingdom of Jesus as a Christian is a journey, not a battle. Life is a journey with Jesus, not a battle for victory. I am not a journey guy. You guys, anybody been on a trip with me? I'm not a like, hey, let's stop at all the roadside attractions guy, right? If you've ever been on a ski trip with me or a men's retreat trip with me, I'm like, 
hey, let's not stop at anything. I like the destination, right? I want victory. I want things to work out the right way. This one runs all over me because I think what Jesus is sharing with James and John is the truth that we often miss. Is that when we marginalize and we demonize and we push the other away, we remove the seeds of the kingdom and try to hold them on to ourselves. And Jesus is trying to show them that this is a journey. Let my will be done. You're not here to win a battle because the battle, what? It's already won, right? So yesterday at Go Weekend, I think one of the things that we struggled with is you look at what a tornado, an EF3 tornado can do to a small town. It's unbelievable. And it's the first video if you saw some of the drone shots that David took right after the tornado. You go, man. And then you get up there weeks later and you go, man. And you clean up for five or six hours and you go, there's still so much. Anybody feel that yesterday? I heard some people ask, did we even make a dent? Did we do enough? And this is where we've got to learn. Sometimes we ask the wrong question. Sometimes we ask the question, did we secure a victory? Did we win any souls? How many people came to Jesus? Did, did this happen? Did we make sure that our, our time was really won something over? And Jesus is not telling them to win people over. They're, he's telling them to be faithful. That's what he's rebuking in them. He's rebuking in them this idea that just because we do something, we've got to have immediate results. Just because we make a choice, therefore people must respond now. He's saying to them, life is a journey. He sends them out in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. At the end of his statement to them, he says to them, a cup of cold water given in my name. And what he means is, when you just do a little thing in my name, it makes all the difference. So yesterday, I think we made a dent. I think we made a big dent, right? But more than making a dent, you know what we did? We did something in the name of Jesus. We took a journey and said, let's go bless people in the name of Jesus. Not for anything we can do. Let's send gift cards. Let's do whatever we can. And you know what Jesus does with that? He grows 30, 60, sometimes 100 fold. Because we're there just to cast seeds. James and John, what they were forgetting. Man, Samaritans aren't their enemy. There's somebody to love. Maybe we forget that too. May we be reminded this morning that, man, we sit at the feet of Jesus. It's easy to make enemies. It's easy to look at the world, especially when the world produces fear more than anything else. The world we're living in has a master's degree, a PhD in producing fear. And you're going to go home today and you're going to get it shoved down your throat. You're going to get on social media and somebody's going to post something that makes you scared of the world. But the word from heaven is do not fear. And you know why it's do not fear? It's because God is already one. May we live that out in a journey with Jesus. If you need anything this morning, we're here for you. Man, I need this lesson. And I hope you do too. We're here to pray for you. Got a couple elders that will be in the back.
praying as well if you need to grab them and uh, share anything in their life. Let's stand together and let's sing. Henry Newell writes, Dear 